Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, I hope you're doing okay today. Hey, uh, let me extend an invitation to uh, uh, maybe a special group of folks who might be here uh, right now. If you have been hanging out at the river for a while and you've kind of said, I think, I think this is where the Lord wants me. Um, we, we would like to help you make that official-like, okay? Uh, this afternoon at, uh, at 4 o'clock, Pastor Dave and I will be uh, walking through what we call our Exploring Church Membership Seminars, about two hours. Um, and in it, we'll tell you where the Lord has brought us from, uh, what we've seen Him do, uh, why we do what we do the way we do, uh, and where we think He's taking us in the days ahead. And we'll give you an opportunity at the end of that time to, uh, to, to sign our membership covenant. We believe that our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and we are a covenant people and would love to have you be a part of us uh, in, in that kind of way, uh, to just be a part of the covenant family of God known as River Bluff. And uh, we'll, we'll answer questions that, that you might have about our church. And uh, so I'd invite you to join Pastor Dave and I as we do that uh, this afternoon at 4 p.m. If you would, on your way, sign up just to kind of let us know uh, who's coming. Um, Even if you think, I'm not sure yet, I just want to make sure there are enough candy bars for everybody. Yeah, I baited you, just so you know, okay? Um, Tammy, I thought that was you for a minute. Are you okay? Okay, okay, sorry. (laughs) I get distracted sometimes. Uh, okay, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, I, I get distracted sometimes. I'm, that's just who I am. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 18 for just a few moments, and then we're going to back up for most of our time in John chapter 17. But I want us to start, uh, really read what we read last week. We, we're, we've been looking at questions that people posed to Jesus and uh, what life uh, with Jesus looks like in the context of those questions. Last week, we uh, dealt with a specific question that uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor of uh, Rome, uh, who was overseeing the Galilee region and uh, Judea, um, he asked Jesus the question, what is truth? And we kind of walked through that. Today, we're going to look at another question that Jesus, uh, uh, that Pilate asked Jesus in the same context. Uh, John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, Pilate went back out to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. This is the word of the Lord. Pilate Pilate said, "I, I don't find any guilt in this man. He seems to be true to what he's, he is saying, what he is, he's declaring. Now, the question that I want us to address and deal with this morning was found in verse 37. It, it got asked kind of in two ways, but I want us to focus on, on verse 37 for a moment. And it was simply this. That today's English version translates it this way. Are you a king then? That's Pilate's question to Jesus. Are you a king then? Now, again, last week we looked at the implications of the question of what, what is truth. But this week, I want us to think about this, this idea of Jesus as king. And Jesus points out that there is a kingdom, 
and it is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. And so where anywhere there's a kingdom, of course, there, there has to be a, a king. Now, Jesus has spent the last three and a half or so years going around his nation and uh, kind of regional areas of other nations that touched the nation of Israel. And he's been proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, the Apostle Matthew refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. They're, those are used interchangeably. But it's, it's the kingdom of which Jesus is now speaking to Pilate about. And it would be the kingdom that the disciples, even after Jesus' ascension, they would go back, uh, Jesus would go back to heaven, but they would continue to proclaim that same kingdom. Uh, even the Apostle Paul, when he would come to saving knowledge of Christ uh, on, on the road to Damascus, he, he would begin proclaiming that kingdom, and uh, eventually he would raise up others. And he writes to his young protege, Timothy, uh, about this. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Timothy, I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's Paul's declaration to Timothy about who Jesus is. Years later, after being exiled to the Isle of Patmos, the apostle John would be given this incredible vision by Jesus himself. We know that vision as the book of Revelation. Uh, this, this angel of the Lord told John to, to write it down. And John tells us about what it's going to be like when King Jesus returns. In chapter 19 of that great revelation, we read these words. John gives a description uh, of Jesus. And this is what that description says. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, Jesus, when he came the first time, he came as a a vulnerable baby. When Jesus comes back the second time, he's coming as a vanquishing king. When he came the first time, he established his kingdom on earth. But when he returns, he's going to come back to a renewed earth, a redeemed earth. He'll, he'll, he'll do that, and he'll establish uh, the permanency of his eternal kingdom, and no other kingdom will stand any longer. Only the kingdom of of Jesus. When he left the first time, he left having conquered sin, which was that which kept his people locked uh, away and really in captivity to sin. And he also conquered death, which was humanity's greatest enemy. He conquered those, but he, when he comes back, he's going to conquer every other enemy. And, and Jesus established his kingdom in the hearts of those followers that began to follow him in that day. And he left his Holy Spirit as a guide into kingdom living. And he left his kingdom teaching as, as words to fortify us in, in his kingdom. And King Jesus offers a personal relationship with him where we can come to know him as king. And everyone who receives him as king. See, Jesus is a king like no other. Jesus, as king, uh, he invites all of his subjects into a personal, intimate relationship. And he says, I no longer see you as subjects. I'm, I call you my, my friends. That's what Jesus said. I don't see you as, as subjects. I call you my friends. And he declares to his friends that not only do I see you as my friends, but come on in to my family. And he adopts us. He adopts those who choose him as, as his very own. And then King Jesus reveals to us his forever family. He reveals to us the deepest longings of his heart, that which is heaviest on his heart. And he does that in a very unique way. He does that in the form of a prayer that he made to his father. And that prayer was that his kingdom would always be united and never divided. And this is what I want us to turn our attention to this morning. I, I want us to think of how do we enter into that prayer with Jesus? How do we begin praying with our king? He's inviting us into his prayer life. 
He's inviting us to pray for that which he prays for. Praying with King Jesus this final request that he made to God the Father. And to see that, I want us to go to John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, back up, maybe a chapter. This, this prayer that Jesus prays in John 17 occurs just hours before the scene that we see in chapter 18 with Pilate. Just, just before his death. So this is the night before all of those events begin to happen. But, but before, before we read this, I want to warn you in advance, okay? I just want to warn you in advance uh, that I'm going to mess with a personal area of your life today. Okay? I'm going to get kind of up in your grill on something. And I'm going to ask you to apply this teaching this specific prayer request that Jesus makes into an area of our lives that in our culture right now, I think it, it really matters. That we, we apply what Jesus prayed for to a specific segment of our own lives because I think it can have the most critical impact in our world today. And so what I want to address, I know this, some of this is because I, I finished reading a book uh, this week by Andy Stanley called uh, In It to Win It, um, and, or Not In It to Win It, and the, that has something to do with this, but this is something that has been uh, aching in my soul for a while, and I really think the Lord is saying now is the time, you have an opportunity to equip God's people, and that's what my job is, to equip God's people for kingdom work. And so I want to equip us in just one area today. I just want you to think about one area to kind of apply this into, because this fall, we're going to have to have an opportunity to, to test drive it. And then the next two years, we're going to have the opportunity to evaluate our test drive and get ready for the big battle that is going to come in the fall of 2024. Because there is a battle coming. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh my goodness, Joe is about to go all prophetic on us. And, you know, you know I'm not. I'm not getting weird. Just slow your roll. You know this is coming. We, we, we all know, know that this is coming. And this is the area that I'm asking you to make application of this great prayer of Jesus. And it is in the realm of your political philosophy. And how you engage on the topic of politics. You know, I know you're never supposed to talk to people about their politics or their religion, right? Tough. We're just going there today, okay? Because Jesus wants to engage all of his followers at the point of even their politics. And he wants his, his rule and reign to supersede. He wants his kingdom to come over every other kingdom, and that includes your politics and, and, and my politics. And so we're going to get to practice this in the minor league of a midterm election to prepare our hearts over the next two years for dealing this with this rightly in 2024. Because you all know what's coming on November 3rd of this year, don't you? The dam is going to break, and we are going to be bombarded with ad after political ad after political ad. There's just going to be this battle that's being waged. And we as God's people need to prepare for it because it's going to be more uncivil and nastier. And it's going to lead to further division if somebody doesn't do something about it. And Jesus prayed about this 2,000 years ago for his people. He prayed for his kingdom to come in this way. He prayed for his church. He saw it coming. And we find Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now, I know that most people consider what, John, what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 uh, to his disciples to be called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I don't call that the Lord's Prayer. I call that the disciples' prayer because Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. I call John chapter 17 that we're looking at in a moment the Lord's Prayer because this is when our Lord himself is praying about the thing that is heaviest on his heart in the moments before he would sacrifice himself for our sins. So I want us to look at that with this in mind. John chapter 17 verse 1, we read these words. Jesus begins his prayer, Father, the hour has come. 
Now, what Jesus, I think, is saying there is for the, the past three plus years, he's been walking all around the country with these guys, trying to explain to them what God, his Father, is like, what the kingdom of God in heaven is like. And he says, we're here now. We're, we're, we're at the end. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Jesus, Jesus says, just before he's arrested, just before he, he's crucified, condemned to death, just before he, he dies, Jesus is saying, glorify your son. He's saying, God, light me up in such a way that people will know that I'm your son, that they'll be able to recognize who I am by what I do next. Sh just shine through me, God. And then he says this, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, so that the, the, the light of your goodness is seen through what I do in my great sacrifice, that the world will see you. Jesus says, the hour has come. It's, it's that moment. And see, Jesus is referring to that moment of his suffering that was about to happen. It would be the moment in human history when God would be most glorified. Now, when we look at it and examine it, we're most horrified. We can't believe that that, that would take place. We'd be like the disciples. We'd run away. We'd look away. But God, that was God's finest hour, was in that moment when Jesus was on the cross giving everything for you and for me to redeem us, to buy us back. And Jesus says, this is the hour. It's, it's come. And he, he's asking his father, okay, God, the hour's come, but before, before all these next events kick off, before the train starts moving, Father, here's what I'm begging you for. He says this in verse 11, jump down there. He says, I'm no longer in this world. Some translations say, I will no longer be in this world. But they are in the world. They, they're going to continue to be here, he says, speaking of the disciples. And I am coming to you. He says, I'm coming back to you, Father, but they're going to be left here. Jesus had told his disciples over and over again that he was leaving and going somewhere where they couldn't come. But what he says next is really amazing. This is Jesus' prayer request in verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Some, some translation says protect them by the power uh, of your name. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that. Now, this, this that is a purpose clause. It says, do all of that so that. This can happen. And th this is what is so powerful. Now, remember, if you went back and you read even uh, just John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, if you read up to that, in, in many places, Jesus had already told his disciples what their future would hold. And he had told them that their future looked like this. They were going to be arrested. They were going to be beaten. And some of them were going to be killed for the name. Of Christ they were, they were, that was going to happen to them so what he is praying for them right now is not it's not protection for their physical bodies he's not praying for physical protection because he's already told them what's coming physically in their world he's praying for something that he sees as even more vital to his kingdom movement and that is that division would not come that unity would be protected. Look, look what it says, John 17, 11. That they, may, that they may be one even as we are one. That they might be one. God, I'm praying for this. I'm praying by the power of your name that you would protect them. That they might be one even as you and I are one. With everything that was going on, with everything Jesus knew was about to unfold, the king of kings, his greatest concern is that moment was for the unity, the oneness of his people. See, King Jesus knew as long as they were in lockstep with one another under the leadership of God, in lockstep with God the Father, in lockstep with the purposes of God, he knew that the world would change. But if they got divided, if they got splintered, his movement would stall out. Jump down to verse 20 if you're following along. He continues this amazing prayer. Look at this. He says, I do not ask for these only. He's saying, I'm not asking that just for these 12 guys hanging out around the table with me right now. He's asking for more. He says, not, not just for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying, I'm not just praying for these guys. I'm praying for the next generation of Christians. I'm, I'm praying for the generation after that and after that and, after, and all the way down to right now, to you, to me. Jesus said, I am praying that you will not be divided, that you would not give in to letting oneness be destroyed. I'm praying for that, Jesus says. And then he says something that, uh, it was kind of sad, but then it became very kind of convicting to me. And, and it was this, as, as I was praying through and studying this, that this is what Jesus was praying for us. And it caused me to ask this question. How many of us are praying for this regularly? How many of us is this like the heaviest part of our heartfelt prayer? Because it's the heartfelt prayer of our king. And my hunch is virtually none of us pray fervently, earnestly for this. And it was important to him in his final hours. And, and maybe, this is, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's why the church in our nation is so, is so weak. It's because the people of God have not prayed. I, I haven't prayed like I should, earnestly. You haven't prayed. We, we haven't led towards this unity. And maybe if we had our nation and, and our world would be a better place right now. Verse 20 goes on, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all, here we go again, that they may all, the first century and up till now, that all of them, that they may be one. Jesus keeps praying this same thing over and over in this prayer, praying for unity, praying praying for oneness. His heart is heavy. He's going to the cross, but this is, this is what he's praying for. Now, in our day, in our world that is so divided, it sounds impossible. It, just, it sounds impossible. But Jesus was absolutely convinced that it's imperative. It may sound impossible to us, but it was absolutely imperative to King Jesus. It wasn't like optional equipment. It wasn't like, oh, it would be so nice if my people could just get along. It, it's not that. This is, this is imperative to the mission that Jesus came to, to fulfill. But it doesn't come naturally to us, does it? Why? Because we all naturally move to our own corners. We all, we all naturally move to our political corners. We, we all move to our relational corners. We all move to our racial corners we all move to our socioeconomic corners we we move to whatever corner we want to camp in and we separate ourselves from one another and when that happens divisions come and, and jesus is praying knowing that his church his 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 instrument for kingdom work on the planet is going to be a global movement made up of every tribe and, and tongue and, and nation on the planet with all kind of diversity all kinds of different ideas. And he's saying into that context, Father, make them one. Friends, this is the big idea that I want to give you today. This is the big idea for the day. That unity may sound impossible, but to Jesus, it was absolutely imperative to his mission. So for us, it should be absolutely intentional. We have got to be intentional about this. This is not just going to happen. This was the great prayer of our king. And it means we should be intentional about this as well. And we should work for this in our church at River Bluff. And we should encourage this in other churches out there. You're saying, Joe, how can I encourage it in other churches? One is by not engaging gossip with other Christians about what's going on in their church. Don't get into that with them. That creates division. Pray, pray for them. See, Jesus prayed, Father, if there was any way that they could we, become one like we are one, do it. His prayer continues, verse 21, that they may be all be one just as you, Father, 
are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that again one of those purpose clauses grab hold of what he's why he's praying for this this may be shocking to you the reason he's praying for oneness isn't just for us it's not even mostly for us that he's praying for oneness look at what he says he says the reason I want them to be one is so that the entire world the, the entire world will believe that you have sent me he says, I'm praying for not just people in the church, but, but people outside the church. Not just people in the kingdom, but people outside the kingdom, outside the faith. That they may see the unity inside and be so drawn into it. So drawn to it that they will conclude the only way something like this could happen is that I am who I said I was and that you are my father and that you sent me. Jesus says this isn't an add-on. Unity is mission critical. It's the only way that the world, in a divided world, is going to sit up and take notice. In a church where there's such great diversity, and yet there can be unity of purpose. We may disagree about certain things, but we will be united around our king. Even though we've been raised different ways to think different thoughts, even about things like politics. And yet, there would be this beautiful, unusual unity. And Jesus is praying knowing that this is the only way forward. It's the only way forward for his church. And the question is, will you sacrifice for that? Will you sacrifice for that unity? Here's, here's what Jesus was doing here. He was actually asking his heavenly father to come along and in every generation poke us on this. Just, just kind of shove us on this. Because we need to be shoved. We need to be awakened on the important role uh, of unity. This is, this is on our king's heart. And every generation, every generation needs, of Christ's followers needs, needs to be reminded of this. To move us towards what Jesus commanded just moments before Jesus would pray this prayer Jesus gathered in that room with his followers around around the communion table around the Lord's Supper um, he, he gave a command he said this is a new command a new covenant that I'm going to to, to give to you and he did it in the context of the Lord's Supper and just by the way we're going to do communion together next week okay we're going to we're going to share communion we're going to we're going to come around the Lord's table together next week so 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 make plans for that if you would and in that setting Jesus said this back in in John 13 34 it's recorded Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you were also to love one another. Jesus said it's a, it's a new command. He said, I'm establishing a completely new covenant with a new set of commands, and it's one command, love. Love God and love one another. This command will encompass every other command. If you get this command right, you'll start getting the rest of them right. Get this one right. And it's out of that command that Jesus prays this prayer. God, make them one. I'm commanding them to love one another. Lord, Lord, make them one. And see, we don't, get to, we don't get to make up what it looks like to be united. Because Jesus said, make them one as we are one. Jesus, Jesus modeled it. And he gave this new command. He didn't give this new suggestion. And these are our marching orders. And, and once again, it's not, it's not just for us. It's not just for those of us who are already in the kingdom. Look at verse 35 of John chapter 13. He goes on to say, by this, by you living out this new command, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This will prove that I am who I am. And Jesus is pleading with his father that we would get this right. That we would, we would make this a matter of importance so that his, content, his kingdom would continue to grow in, in our day, in our generation. 
that it would go from Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, please, God, make them one. Help them live out that command to, to love one another. Back to John 17. Look at verse 22. He says this. He's praying, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Complete unity. Not unity of politics, but, but unity of kingdom purpose. Unity of, of kingdom worldview. That we see the world through the kingdom of God. That we would see each other as we are seen by the king. That we would see the king as he is intended to be seen. That suddenly, you know, the world would get to see the love of God that's included in his kingdom. They, they would get to see the Savior who died for them. And that, and that what would happen for his followers? That we'd be so united around that gospel message so united around it that it would define and redefine everything else for us. Look what he says next in verse 23. Again, pointing out that it's not just about us. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. So that the world might know of the love of the Father by the way we love one another. Jesus was saying, Heavenly Father, you and I know everything rides on them getting this right. Not around their politics, not around their culture, not around their language, not around their opinion. But this core, this core of, of your kingdom is the only thing that's going to change the world. And, and here's the really encouraging, cool thing so that you can know and be encouraged by it. It's happened before. This, this isn't just, you know, some pipe dream out there. It, it, it has happened before. I mean, think about it. After the resurrection, after Jesus returned, the apostles went into the streets of Jerusalem. They began proclaiming this kingdom. They went with this, this one purpose, and their purpose was to make disciples of all nations. And they went with this one command, to, to love one another, this, this one message of the, uh, of the gospel, of the gospel of hope found in King Jesus, the promised Messiah, And he's come to earth and he's established the kingdom of God. And he laid down his life, which is something no other king did. Lay, laid down his life for, for his subjects. So that he would create a pathway, an on-ramp to the, God as Father. And they filled the streets of Jerusalem with this message. Living out that one command, they loved each other sacrificially. And people noticed. People were shocked by the way they loved one another and the way they loved outsiders and they were so united around this movement i know i can tell I, just by looking at you you're, you're you're bright sharp people even those of you who are currently nodding off i, I can still tell that you are you you're, you're a sharp group of people i i i know this and so you know you know what's coming and i'm only giving voice to this you know your candidate your political party and political platform and you know they're going to win or lose based on the numbers of votes they get by american citizens that's how they're going to win or lose but friends the church will win or lose the movement of the gospel will win or lose our communities and our nation will win or lose based on the way we love one another, based on our, our unity. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Every single day between now and the midterm elections, I, I want us to say with great clarity, we are not giving in to division. We're, we're not going to give in to that. We're not going to get sucked up into that because this was an optional equipment for Jesus. It was an optional equipment for, for his work. We must not allow anything or anyone to divide us 
from Jesus' kingdom purposes. Do you know what most historians, even atheist historians, will tell you was the one thing that most influenced and shaped Western civilization? The movement of Christ. The Christian faith. Nothing else did that. It wasn't the Republican Party. It wasn't the Democratic Party. It wasn't the American ideal. It was, it was faith in Jesus Christ. And we still have that hope, and that's got to be our, our great message. But the question is, why would we sacrifice that for lesser things? Why would we do that? Why in the world would we allow ourselves to be divided by something less than that vision? Less than that beautiful king and kingdom? You know, our, our nation really only has, you know, in, in the scope of human time, our nation really only has a very brief history, you know? We, we've, we've just been a nation for a short period of time. And both of our primary political parties, I know there are more, but there are basically two political parties. And, and they have had leaders and given leadership that at times have been, you know, pretty good. And then at times it's been disastrous. They've produced leaders that have been moral failures. And also failures at times in terms of their leadership. Now we've had some good ones. But when we think about the brevity of our nation's history... And we think about, I want you to think about this for a moment. There were political parties that don't exist today. And they were just as adamant about their political platforms as the two-party system is today. How many of you are currently registered um, with the political party, the Whigs? No Whigs in the room? When was the last time you voted for a political candidate that claimed the Federalist Party as their party? They're gone. They're kaput. Friends, why would we, as especially the way we've done it in the last two general elections, why would we, God's people, allow ourselves to be sucked in to something that's here today and gone tomorrow. When we serve an eternal king, <laughs> their political platforms don't matter anymore. And they never will again. But we, we, give, we, get, we get sucked into that. And here's one of the most embarrassing parts of it. We do it because they make us afraid. We give in to fear. What did Jesus tell us over and over and over again? Fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't fear man for what he can do to you. But we, we get caught up into the, this, this movement of fear. We become victims and we victimize others. And you know why they, they do the fear thing? Because it can raise money like nothing else. Friends, if you can peddle fear, you can raise money. Well, oh, them Republicans, they're going to keep you from being able to vote and them democrats they're gonna steal your guns but for 25 or 50 or 100 dollars you can and we're about to get flooded with that you know we're just about to get flooded with that message of a fear and they're going to play every fear card in in the deck it's just around the corner and if we're not careful we'll become victims or victimizers peddling that same fear and when we do we will become the antithesis of Jesus' prayer. We will become part of the division and not of the unity. And friends, here's the deal. We have right now preparing ourselves for what's coming this November and then really what's coming the next two years. We have an unprecedented opportunity as Jesus' church to model what our king prayed. We have an opportunity like we've never had before. What would it look like to disagree politically but love each other fiercely, unconditionally? Disagree? Sure, at times. But love each other fiercely while doing that. Now, here's the question. Please don't answer it out loud. 
Just answer it in, 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 in the core of your being. Do you want to do this? Do you want to be a part of what Jesus said is the solution and not the problem? Do you want to build his kingdom to be over every other kingdom? See, our, our, our king has come. Will you pray the prayer with the king? Will you rally around the message of, of our king? Because something extraordinary happens when God's people do that. Even, sure, sure you, this is not a message. Please, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in, in the political spectrum. We have to speak truth to power. We're called by God to do that. So be engaged. Just don't be mean. Don't be nasty. And don't let it divide you between your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not let that happen. Why would we let something that like that overrun our hearts for people who are creating the image of God like we are? Some who are our brothers and sisters, all who Jesus died for, and they live next door to you, and they work in the cubicle or the office next to you, or maybe they're in your own extended family, and in the past you've created a division and damaged the reputation of Christ, and we have this opportunity to repair those things. Would we devote ourselves to our king and his kingdom prayer, to his mission over our own philosophies? Would we devote ourselves to King Jesus? And I want us to just real quickly close with three questions that I would encourage you to ask yourself and answer as it relates to this. Here's the first one. Will you devote yourself to your king by praying what he prayed, this prayer for unity. Will you take it seriously? Would you make oneness that King Jesus prayed for, would you make it the earnest desire of your heartfelt prayers? Would it be central to your prayer life? Would you read, prayerfully read and meditate on Jesus' prayer in John 17 and make it central to your own prayer life? Instead of only praying for your needs, pray for what Jesus said really mattered. Pray earnestly. You know, the Bible says, James 5, it's not going to come up uh, on the screen, but in James 5, 16, the Bible tells us that the earnest prayers, the earnest prayers of God's people accomplish much, produces wonderful results, one translation says. Would you pray? Secondly, will you devote yourself to your king by loving like he loved? Pray like he prayed. And then love like he loved. And on this one, I just want to shove you a little bit. Just, just, just push you a little bit. Because the, the problem is most of us, most of us will have a hard time finding somebody to love who's different than us. See, we, we all insulate ourselves with people who look like us, act like us, think like us, you know, politicize like us. And I'm, here's what I'm asking you to consider doing. I'm asking you to look for, find somebody who disagrees with you politically and love them unconditionally. Love them like Jesus loved them. Would you love your enemies? That's the way Jesus loved. Would you love those who disagree with you and maybe even persecute you? Because the Bible says you'll be great in heaven when that, when that happens. Would you pray for oneness, and would you promote oneness? And friends, that's going to be harder than maybe it was a couple of generations ago in our country because the division is so great. But here's why this is such a great opportunity, why it's such a great opportunity. It's the last thing. Will you devote yourself to your king knowing that the darkness of division has never been darker? And because of that, your light for Jesus will shine even brighter. The darker the darkness, the greater influence any light has. And I, there's never been a more divided time in our nation in my lifetime than the one that we are living in. Now, maybe you're, maybe you're some of you, many of you that are older than me anymore. Yeah, amen. Um, but 
one of the things that's so important for us to be captured by is we have, we have an opportunity like we've never had before. If I were a game show host, I would say this is the lightning round and points are now doubled. Okay? That's, I mean, right now, what we do in the name of Jesus for the sake of unity matters more than it's ever mattered in our life for the glory of God through his church. And I believe that Jesus wants to release a new power in his church, but he's waiting on us to take up his prayer. And not just pray it with our lips, but promote it with with our lives. Will you let your light shine right now? Because it will shine brighter than ever into the deepest darkness of division. Now, I know what some of you have been thinking. Joe, that's just your job. You know, it's just your job to, to take the stuff Jesus said and find, find places to stick it into our lives. I, we, we, we know that, Joe. It's, it's, it's what you do. But don't you really think, Joe, it's just a pipe dream? I mean, come on, Joe. Unity in our time. Let me tell you about a pipe dream. There was a carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago. And one day he heard God the Father call him to close up shop and to go around the country to proclaim God's goodness, to proclaim his love to invite people into relationship with the God of all creation through his own life. To live that message. To model what it looks like to love sacrificially even to the point of death. Even to the point of death. That he would would take that that on. That he he would give his life. He would bring these 12 guys around him who had no political power or clout, but he would equip them so that they could change the world. See, it's happened before. It's not a pipe dream. It is the vision of your king, if you're a follower of Jesus. It is a vision of his heart. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You call that a pipe dream? It's it's the kingdom vision. It's what's on the heart of Jesus. And it can be central in our day to be a part of that unstoppable movement of the kingdom of God. So will you pray with your king? Will you, with your life, promote that which he prayed for, unity over division? Will you let your light shine for your king in the deepest darkness of division? Will you love unconditionally while disagreeing with others? Will will you do that so that the sacrificial oneness that Jesus asked his father for would come and change the world again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we come. We come having heard you pray that which was heaviest on your heart in the heaviest day of your earthly life. that 24-hour span. And the thing that you begged your father for was that the unity of your people would be protected above all else. And so now, here we are, your people. 2,000 years later. And we come to you in these moments reminding ourselves that you are a king of a kingdom 
into which you have invited us. That we can be a part of that, that we are a part of that if we've trusted in the King. And that part of life in Him means that we will pray for unity. We will promote it with every breath we have. We will not allow ourselves to be sucked up into the division. But we will love even our enemies unconditionally. That may mean we have to get to know them. So God, we come. We come saying to you that there's some things you probably want to change in our lives right now. And so we come. We come to you as king, confessing that we don't understand all it means to let you reign sovereignly in our lives, that your rule and reign would come in every corner and crevice of our lives. But we come seeking you, longing for you to have unhindered sway, that your rule and your reign would come. So let it start in us. Let it start in us individually. Let us begin in us as your church, known as River Bluff. God, will, will you help us be united? Will you help us display a love for one another the way that you and the Father love one another? Will you let us be those people? And maybe today you need to make that decision. Maybe there's been something that's been keeping you from living that out. Maybe today before you leave, you just want to go nail it to one of the crosses on either side of this room. Just leave it there. Just say, God, I, I leave it here. I leave my politics here. I leave my divisive way here. I leave God this here. Just whatever the Spirit may lead you to do. Maybe you're here today and for the very first time, you realize there's a kingdom that's different from the kingdom of this earth. That there is a king who's calling and beckoning you to you to, to come to him. To come and receive his love and his mercy and his goodness. So that you can have life eternal, life in the kingdom of God. Life where what matters most is love and unity with one another. Maybe you've been broken by the division and you've been looking for hope. Jesus extends that hope to you right now, saying, come, come, enter my kingdom, a kingdom of love. You will be loved unconditionally by the king. Jesus says, if you call in his name that way, forsaking all of your other little kingdoms for his kingdom, he'll save you. He'll bring you into his kingdom, and it will be a decision to enter something eternal, an eternal relationship with the God of all creation. He's inviting you right now. Come. Surrender. Give up your little kingdoms and your lesser kings. Father, we come. We come to recommit ourselves afresh to that great command to love one another. We come to commit ourselves afresh to pray your prayer for unity, to promote oneness with our brothers and sisters and even a lost and dying world. We come. We come to worship you and praise you as our king in these closing moments. Lord, I pray that none of us would just let it be lip service, but it would be heartfelt communion with you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus.